pray, guys. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you that we can come together right now, Lord, and to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, that we can uh, just focus on you right now, Lord, and uh, put everything else aside. Lord, that we would uh, just uh, just breathe you in, Lord, and uh, that your spirit would just wash over us and uh, help us to hear things new and fresh. Lord, we pray that you would be with us and guide us in all things. And Lord, we praise you so much. Lord, you are just wonderful and amazing, and we're grateful for everything that you give, everything you do, Lord, and even for that discipline that you bring to us when it's needed. So Lord, we praise you in your name. Amen. Typically, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Um, that's like the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. You know, you've heard about that. You probably know about that. Um, however, since typically we don't have anybody doing chapels, unless me or one of the other guys is here, I felt it would be a great idea to kind of do a Good Friday kind of thing, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, a lot of us have different, different ideas of what that looked like, right? You know, you've seen all the different movies that kind of depict it. And the close, one of the closest is probably The Passion of the Christ. You guys have seen that movie, right? Hey, that, that's a very close, very close depiction. However, it still doesn't do justice to the gruesome and horrific nature of what Jesus went through. Like, and in the Bible, we have people who actually eyewitness the crucifixion and everything that Jesus went through, from being in the garden to, to you know, praying and being in such agony that he's sweating drops of blood because the capillaries in his his skin bursts to him being beaten by the um, not not the Romans at that point, but he gets beaten by like the guards for uh, the Pharisees and whatnot, temple guards, and we see his arrest. We see his unjust trial that takes place at night. Trials weren't supposed to take place at night. You know, he would get punched. He would get mocked. He would get spit on. Parts pieces of his beard got ripped out you know then they take this guy they've already been beating up and mocking they drag him to Pilate Pilate says I can't do anything with this guy take him over to Herod he's from his province province so they take him to Herod well Herod is like what do I do with him they just made fun of him and then sent him back to Pilate well, thinking, Pilate thinking that maybe he can, you know, kind of satiate the Pharisees and the Jews, he had him beaten and flogged. So now the beating is not just like they beat him up with their fists. No, they took reeds and they whooped on him till he could not stand. So now when you're thinking of that, that's like tenderizing his flesh in preparation for getting flogged with the cat of nine tails. Now, how many of you have ever kind of seen what a cat of nine tails looks like? Okay, right. It's got, it's got like metal balls on it. It's got shards of, of metal, bone. These things are designed to inflict 
all kinds of pain, all kinds of damage. And not only did they just, did they whip him with this thing, the way they did it was very meticulous. Like they would take their time when they did this. They would whip him, set it, and then rip it out to pull out as much flesh, inflict as much damage as possible. And they did that 39 times. Death penalty was 40, right? And we kind of know the story. We kind of, we've, we've read it before. It doesn't take us, honestly, reading word for word from the Bible to know the story of what Jesus endured in those moments. You know, the fact that after the flogging, he could still get taken and have even more done to him. They put like a crimson robe over him, which was just, you know, a piece of cloth that came from a, a horse or donkey. They crammed the crown of thorns on his brow. We're talking four or five inch thorns just being jammed into his skull. And then the continued mocking. The constant mocking, the constant beating. And let's just keep in mind he's bleeding. He's being spit on. Over and over throughout the, that 24-hour period, he's going through all of this stuff. And I, for one, I don't think I could have stood that much. No man honestly could stand that much. There's only one other person that's probably been flogged like that in the history and survived, and that was the Apostle Paul. He got flogged with the, with the sentence of 39 twice. So he, he knew what Jesus went through. So now you have all this, and then they still want to crucify him. They still want to send him to the cross to be nailed on it. So you have a guy who's been beaten, flogged, mocked, beard ripped out, beaten up, crown of thorns jammed into his head. You have all of these things. Well, you got to also remember, he didn't sleep the day before. Instead, he was in the garden praying. So now you have sleep deprivation as well. And then they put a cross on his back and they tell him to carry it miles through the streets till he reaches outside of the, of the city gates. Well, and he couldn't finish. He couldn't complete carrying it all the way. So they had to have somebody else help him, a guy named Simon. How crazy would it have been to have been that guy to help the Messiah. Like, and you gotta imagine he did not want to, given what Jesus is looking like, because he's bleeding, he's probably got spit just dripping off of him. Not to mention the sweat and anything else that he's that's got going on. And I'm sure they didn't let him go to the bathroom. Also taking consideration, he's doing all of this naked. 
All the shame, all of that stuff is being just put on him. And it wasn't for just any reason. It was for the greatest reason ever. And we're still going to get to that. You know, so they finished carrying the cross to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And the reason it's called that is because this mountain, the side of it, literally looks like a skull. Not to mention probably the mass grave that was on the other side of it where they would just throw the bodies of, of criminals. So they reach the place of the skull. They reach Golgotha. They lay the cross down. They lay Jesus on it. They nail him with nine-inch nails through the wrists and through the feet. Right? Because if you did it here, unless you tied him to the cross, he would probably slip off. You know, but if you do it right here through the wrists, there's a hole perfectly through there where you don't get any bone, but it goes through the probably the most sensitive nerve endings in the body. So you have this shock wave of pain being sent through Jesus' body. Okay? Now you're adding the shock wave of pain, the being having so exhausted and then carrying a cross as far as he did. You have the blood loss. You have just everything, everything. This is probably the worst death in all of hum humanity ever. To think that Jesus was willing to do all that is just really crazy to think about. You know, then they lift up this cross in the air. And you guys have seen, seen that in the Passion of the Christ. Well, what do they do? It gets dropped with Jesus on it into the hole. Well, could you imagine you're sitting there like this and then all of a sudden it drops down about a foot into, into this hole? Imagine the amount of splinters going through the already just, oh man, cheese-grated flesh on his back. Like, I can't even imagine what, it, what he looked like. And it says that he was marred beyond recognition. If you didn't know it was Jesus, you wouldn't know. You would have no clue because they ripped out his beard. You know, he's been beaten so beyond what anybody could really withstand. So you would never know who he was. And then he hangs there on the cross, right? Bleeding, naked, getting spit on, being mocked. And he's actually on the cross praying for the people that are doing this to him. Saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, let's be honest. They didn't know that they were being used by God. They had no clue they were being used by God for his purposes. Just as most bad things that happen, God can use them. You know, like right now, probably the church is reaching more people than it probably has ever done through because of because of the internet and media 
You know, so God is, God likes to take things that we see as being horrible and horrific and use it for his purposes. And Jesus' crucifixion is still one of the most horrific things. If we were to depict it to the T, it would probably get the, the worst rating in all of movie history because nobody would be able to finish watching it. You know, the passion was very close. Like I said, you take, you take any murder where they massacre people and this doesn't even, this, this, this doesn't even compare. Being marred beyond what anybody can recognize. So Jesus suffered a shameful, bloody, and horrific death. Now think about it. He died. We know he died. Because there was a physician who wrote part of this story for us. Luke is a doctor. So when he describes that Jesus died, he breathed his last breath. And what did he say before that? Right? Who remembers? Who remembers? What does Jesus say right before he gives his spirit up? It is finished. And then they pierce him in his side. Because originally they were going to break his legs. Because that's what they do. The Jews didn't want anybody on the cross when you know, the, the day of Passover was going to happen. So the Romans, they were breaking the legs so that you would die faster. So on the cross, you didn't die from being nailed to a cross. You died from drowning in your own fluid. So Jesus goes through all the beating all that stuff, and then drowns in the fluid that's building up in his lungs because he can't lift himself up enough to get any kind of breath of air. The wrath of God is being poured on him so that we don't have to have it. Like, as horrific as this scene is, if we had to take on the wrath of God, it would very much pale. Like, when you see depictions of hell in the Bible and what eternity in the lake of fire is going to be like, it is scary. It's scary. Worms eat you and they never die. You can't die. But the people who go there still refuse to repent. Even though the Savior came and did all of this, even said that the payment is finished. It's finished. I have paid for it. All the wrath, all the sin has been nailed to the cross. And if we will kneel before him and lay down our lives and take on his, we don't have to experience the wrath. We don't have to experience the wrath. Sure, we might experience death, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
You know, and then we get to look forward to the return of Jesus at the resurrection of the dead in Christ. You know, and we get to be like Jesus in the fact that we get to resurrect because, right, he gets put in the tomb. Three days later, he gets up. You know, and I'm going to save that for, for whoever's going to do the, the Sunday message on Easter, which I'm sure will probably be Craig. You know, but he, he says it's finished. Then they stab him. And what comes out? Water and blood, right? That's what gets described. Well, think about it. They didn't, they didn't kill him by stabbing his heart. However, they made sure he was dead by doing that. But when you have a separation of blood and water, it usually indicates that there was a failure of the heart. That water surrounded it and asphyxiated the heart. So it lends credence to the fact that Jesus drowned in his own bodily fluid, whether it be blood or whatever else happens in here. You know, and the only reason we know that that's true is because Luke is a doctor. He would know that stuff, and he writes it down. You know, and, and we just we get to reap what Jesus sows when he goes to the cross and does everything that he does and goes through. You know, one thing about the when he gets when when they stab him in the heart through the side. One thing that I think is awesome that the Bible describes is that the Roman soldier who did it. He fell back on his knees and exclaimed that truly he was the Son of God. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he knew there was something different. Keep in mind that also when he dies, the sun goes dark. And it's midday, so it shouldn't have gone dark. And it goes dark, dark. There's an earthquake. It's God saying, my son is dead. I still have all the power. I'm still very much in control. You haven't won nothing, Satan. As you know, Satan's probably partying, thinking, woohoo, I did something awesome. I killed the Savior. You know, because the deception was that Jesus was supposed to come, live perfect, and then rule forever. Except for all his ministry, he says, I haven't come to rule. I've come to make peace. I've come so that you can have true repentance. And this was the only way. You know, we hear, we see in the Bible also that when he died, the veil in the temple, right? You've heard of the veil in the temple. It separates the Holy of Holy from the rest of the temple. Well, it tears, not, not side to side, not bottom to top, but top to bottom. And it signifies that God is the one who tore it. And because of Jesus, now there is no separation between God and man. Now God can dwell within us 
and do his work in us. Right? That's what the Spirit comes to do. It's a counselor. And counselors, what do we do? We tend to help you see the things that are going on inside of you that you know are not good for you. Right? That's kind of the point of counseling, is to kind of let it all hang out. Well, that's what we can do. We can do that with Jesus. We can let everything hang out before him because he's already endured all of it. He's experienced everything that we experience. He was tempted in the exact same ways as us. Now, granted, it might be somewhat of a difference, but it says that it's not uncommon. Anything that we've been, un- been tempted with is not uncommon from the rest of man. Jesus was temp- tempted after 40 days of fasting. And each time he said, get away from me, Satan. He beat him back with the word. Same thing we can do. Because now we have the Spirit within us, guiding us, sanctifying us, causing us to want to have and do repent. Causing us to see this gruesome picture of what Jesus did in a whole different light. Because while it's horrific, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. To know that God came and stepped into time here on earth to save the fallen creation is beautiful. It's not just beautiful, it's powerful. No other God has ever done that. You know why? Because they don't exist. They're demons portraying themselves to be something that they are not. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other before me. There's no other after me. And he proved it. He proved it by coming here. He proved it by suffering a bloody, shameful death and atoning for the sins of the world. But think about that. The sins of the world are atoned for, but he's asking us to give of ourselves to him, to follow him, to take on the forgiveness that he paid for, that he atoned for. And that's not to say that sin doesn't exist anymore, but it's been paid for. And he says, come to me. Give yourself to me. Take on my righteousness because we can't do enough. I don't know how many of you need to be reminded of that, but I need to be reminded of that. That there's nothing I can do to earn or deserve grace. Free gift. Grace is a free gift, freely given by God. We can't work for a gift, right? And to be honest, if we worked for a gift, it's not a gift, right? No, it's something that we earned. Well, Jesus says, I paid for it. 
you didn't have to do anything to get it. I'm giving it to you freely. Are you willing to take it? And I think that most of you in this room have already done it. But I think, honestly, it's an awesome reminder to know that our Savior was willing to go through this amount of pain and torture so that creation could be saved and reconciled back to God. So that we can come before God and, and call ourselves children of Him again. He did it because He cares for us. He did it because He loves us. He did it because He cares about Himself and His glory. You have to think about it pretty hard, but a lot, of a lot of what we hear is that Jesus did it to glorify God. He glorifies himself through his own death so that we can look at him and go, that is my Savior, that is my Messiah, that is my Lord and my God, and I want to follow him with everything that I have. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. And I think we all see that in one way or another right now. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to accept a gift of grace, a gift of that magnitude. It's hard. Because we want to do something for it. Instead, we can just receive it. Receive the gift of grace and eternal life from Jesus. Take on His righteousness. Let go of your own because it's just filthy rags. Let the Holy Spirit do His work of sanctifying you, and it's going to take your whole life. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I didn't even follow any of this. <laughs> I don't know why I keep looking at it. God cares about you guys. He doesn't want any of you to stay lost if you haven't come to Him fully yet. Come to Him fully. Lay down your life and do what He has called you to do. And I'll be honest, I think that's the only reason I can work here. You guys live here. You see... And you feel how hard it is. You know, I don't really know what that's like. And I'll admit that. You know, but I know what struggle is, and I know what pain is. And I think we all do. And some of us might be like, well, my pain's worse than yours. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus would beg to differ with anyone. He suffered probably the most pain any human will ever face. And he says, come to me. Lay your burdens on me, because my yoke is light. My yoke is easy. 
It says, come and die and live in him. I know that's what I want to do. I'm looking in your guys' faces, and I can see that's what you want to do too. So let's be encouraged by this, knowing that Jesus gave everything so that we could come to him. Let's live in that. Let's live in that grace. Let's live by that faith that we can have because of Jesus. Let's be bold for him, proclaiming the gospel because it's right here. The gospel is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Seriously, guys, this is the most important message. Not the one I'm giving, but the one that the Bible's giving. It's the most important message you could ever hear. Live in it. Live in it. Let it strengthen you and encourage you no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're facing, guys. Let's pray. Lord, right now we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you for what you've accomplished, what you went through, what you endured so that we could have salvation, so that we could receive grace, so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. Lord, I pray that we would live in that. Lord, that we would just constantly thank you day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, no matter what we're facing, we know that you've faced far greater. And Lord, we can be encouraged by that. and We can be strengthened by that. So Lord, would you just do that by your spirit? Would you strengthen us? Would you guide us? Lord, would you just sanctify us so that we can walk like you? Lord, again, strengthen us. And again, we just want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you went through, for what you endured. Lord, we praise you for your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, may we live by those things. Lord, we praise you. It's in your name. Amen.